Hey guys, welcome to the weekly podcast of Encounter Church, Sedalia, Missouri. It's our prayer that this message is a blessing and an encouragement to your life. If you want more information about Encounter Church, please go to our website, encounterchurch.ag. Thanks again. Enjoy the message. And then once again, I would encourage you as you have your smart device, your phone, your tablet, your iPad, whatever you're using, make sure you throw the emojis up there. Let us know that you are with us this morning, that you are participating in the service as we go along. But we are going to wrap up a series that we've been in for six weeks. I had planned to be in this series a, a little bit longer. In fact, I thought that I was going to be in the series longer than I had anticipated being in the series. But as we're gathering back together next Sunday on the 31st, I wanted to kick off a brand new series. We're going to do a series called At Our Core. We're going to look at the very root of who we are as a church and how that relates to you as an individual. Now, it's been a couple of years since we've processed through our core values and our mission. And quite honestly, we've made some um, adjustments and, and changes to those over the last several months. So we want to present that to you. We want you to understand who we are as a church. For some of you, you've been a part of this body of believers for quite some time. Others of you, just right before COVID-19 hit, you started attending. Or maybe even while we've been online, you have found us online. Uh, so I would encourage you, be with us next week. If you can be in person, if you don't feel comfortable yet coming out, or if you were sick in your body, maybe you've got some sort of cold going on, or you're not sure what it is, or maybe your immune system is compromised, I would encourage you, go ahead and stay home and, until you're well, or until you're able to safely be with us in person. But for those of you that are healthy, wealthy, and wise, or maybe just healthy, uh, I would encourage you to be with us next Sunday morning as we gather together once again and celebrate all that God is. So we'll kick off that series next week, but this morning I want to wrap up a series uh, that we're calling The Full Pursuit. We're looking at the book of James. Now James is the half-brother of Jesus, and James is talking to a first-generation group of Christians, and he's reminding them what does it mean to be faithful? What does it mean to be a Christian? In other words, James is taking us from being immature in our faith to being mature as a Christian. And I've talked about this over the last several weeks. Maybe you say, well, pastor, I've been a Christian for 45 years. Wonderful. I'm sure that you still have some area to grow, some maturity in your walk with God, because not a single one of us will ever, on this side of heaven, arrive at perfection. We all have something we can still learn. So I would encourage you, if you've missed any of this series, go back and watch the, the podcast, the vodcast, the, the website, video, YouTube, Facebook, find it on there someplace and process through what does it mean to be mature in our walk with God. We've talked about everything from trials that we face in life to temptation that is inevitable, and how are we going to respond to that. We've looked at the importance of combining both faith and action, and even looked at the need of controlling the tongue. And, and James says, man, if you can control the tongue, then you are well on your way to being mature in the faith. Now today, I want to move into chapter 5, the last chapter in the book of James. As we wrap all of this up, I want to look at what does it mean to have patience, but also to have endurance. Now, our text is James chapter 5, verse 8, and James says this, you also be patient. Look at the person sitting in the room with you this morning and, and just tell them, be patient. Yeah, be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the, of the Lord is at hand. You also be patient. Establish your hearts. We're going to talk about what that means in just a moment. But what does James mean when he's talking about having patience or even endurance? How does that apply into our lives? Well, I want to look at four steps to faithful endurance 
of life. If you haven't noticed yet or not, there are some issues and some situations that you face in life that require a bit of patience, and quite honestly, they require a lot of endurance, a lot of staying power, a lot of uh, pressing in, even when it's not easy. So what does James have to say to us? That's what I want to look at this morning. Step number one is this, wait patiently. Wait patiently. Now, let me be honest. Of all the steps this morning, this one's the hardest for me. I'm not a real patient person. When I want to see something done, I want to see it done. When I'm ready to move, I'm ready to go. I don't want to sit back and wait. I don't want to rest back in the easy lounge chair. But I want to press in. I want to get it done. I want to make it happen. But I've come to realize something. There are times in life that you've got to wait patiently. We're remodeling part of our house on the inside. We're doing some painting and, and some changing around. And we're painting the cabinets right now, and we're adjusting that. And yesterday I got the top cabinet doors all painted, and, and they're ready to reinstall and put back on. So we've got the new hinges ready to put them together. And last night, Chandler, my son, and I, we're, we're sitting in the kitchen, and we're finalizing a couple things. And he says, Dad, I think the cabinet's are dry enough, I think I could put the doors back up. And can I be honest with you, part of me wanted to be impatient. I wanted to say, yeah, let's put them up now. Let's make them happen. But I understand something about paint. It may feel dry on the surface, but if it hasn't cured yet, it's going to peel off or scratch off rather easily. So I looked at Chandler and I said, no, 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 we've got to be patient. As much as, as I want to put it up, as much as I want to see what it looks like when it's all back together, we can't do it tonight. We've got to wait patiently. And I'll tell you, on, on the back side of things, today, this afternoon, when we put those cabinet doors up and they've had that time to cure and, and really set in and hold tight to that door, it's going to be a whole lot easier to put up because they're not going to scratch as easy. That paint's had time to do what it needs to do and it adhere to the surface underneath. Now, there are some things that you're going to face in life. There are some situations that you will go through. Maybe you're experiencing that right now with all of this craze going on in our culture. That your patience is running thin. Your endurance is wanting to give up. But I would say to you today... Wait patiently. Hold on. Don't give up. Don't rush it. But wait patiently. James says this in verse 7. Dear brothers and sisters, be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. Consider the farmers who patiently wait for the rains in the fall and in the spring. They eagerly look for the valuable harvest to ripen. I was doing some research on the word patiently this week, or even the word patience this week, and I discovered a couple of definitions that I want to share with you today. The first definition said this, to stay put and stay fast when you'd like to run away. Have you ever been there? You've been in a situation of life, you've been right on the verge of that circumstance erupting and you wanted to do everything but stay put you wanted to run just as far away as you possibly could you wanted to get away from everything that was happening well another definition stated this the ability now there it is the ability to sustain through prolonged difficult circumstances the ability to sustain through prolonged difficult circumstances let me ask you this question do you consider yourself a patient person now be careful don't answer too quick there here's a here's a little test to help you discover whether you're patient or not number one what happens when the line is long at the store, 
and, and this is what happens to me oftentimes. Maybe there's three registers open or four registers open and each one has a long line, but I notice that aisle number two is a little shorter than the others. So what do I do? I go to the second aisle, the second register, and I get in that register and then suddenly people get behind me and then my row stops. The little light starts flickering for them to get assistance. The person up front doesn't have a price tag on the item. Something malfunctions. Something doesn't happen. Every other line goes so much faster. In fact, people that weren't even in line prior to are now out the door on the way home already in the drive-thru to get lunch. And here I am still standing in line waiting to be helped. Where's your patience level when that happens? Or what about this? What about faulty technology? Now, right before this service, we noticed a little glitch on our, our feed into Facebook. So we began to try to make edits, and it wasn't working. So we shut everything down, and literally seconds before it was time to go live, boom, everything popped up. When technology isn't doing what you would hope for it to do, it can be very frustrating. It can raise an anxiety level within us. Or what about when you get those phone scams? You know, the one where they call and say, the IRS has a warrant out for your arrest. By the way, folks, that's not the IRS. That's a scammer. They're just trying to get your money. Those guys just absolutely annoy me. Or number four, traffic. Traffic can be absolutely insane. I was out uh, yesterday and the traffic was horrendous around town. Or what about this? Waiting for somebody. You make an appointment. Okay, let's meet at nine o'clock. We're going to make this happen. We're going to gather together at nine o'clock. And 9.05, they're still not there. Does that bother anybody else? That absolutely annoys me. I've come to realize I'm not always the most patient person. I'm just going to be transparent with you this morning. What about number six? Let me just simply put it this way. COVID-19. I'm not even going to explain that one. Man, I'm losing my patience with this thing. All right, let's talk about patience today. In fact, to kind of set things up, I've got a little video clip. It's an older clip um, from a movie called Facing the Giants. I want to show about a 45-second clip from this movie. Take a look. I admit to you I have been struggling. But I've also been praying. I just don't see him at work here. Grant, I heard a story about two farmers who desperately needed rain. And both of them prayed for rain but only one of them went out and prepared his fields to receive it. Which one do you think trusted God to send the rain? Well, the one who prepared his fields for it. Which one are you? God will send the rain when he's ready. You need to prepare your field to receive it. Notice what Coach Grant said on the very beginning of that clip. He says, I want to be honest with you. I've been praying, but I just don't see God at work. Have you ever been there? Maybe you've even made that statement. Man, I've been, I've been crying out to God. I've been trying here, but nothing seems to be working. I don't seem to hear God's voice anywhere. Mr. Bridges follows up by talking about two farmers in identical situations. Both of them prayed, but only one of them prepared the land. So here's what I've discovered as we're waiting patiently. As we wait, we must have faith, but we must begin to move forward and prepare the field. It was Mark Batterson, pastor and author, that once said this, if you want to see God move, you must begin to move. If you want to see God take action in your life, if you want to see that crop begin to grow in the field, if you want to see resolve or resolution in your situation, if you want to see something happen, if you want to see God show up, you've got to begin to move. 
James goes on to talk about the farmers that eagerly wait the spring rain. And as a farmer, what I understand is there's a lot of work that goes into a mature crop. Interestingly enough, it, you don't just go to the grocery store and pick up produce. It's got to grow someplace, and somebody's got to do the hard work. You see, even before the rain begins to fall, even before the farmer sees a cloud in the sky, the farmer must go out and prepare the soil and plant the seed. During the hot summer months, the farmer doesn't take a siesta, a sabbatical, a break. No, he continues to work the field, to sweat in the field, to, to pull the weeds, to prepare the ground for that harvest. Now, he may see a, a few small sprouts of the vegetables, but if he pulls them too soon, he will eliminate the grand harvest at the end. He must endure with patience. Now, I don't know a whole lot about farming, but what I do know is this. My grandpa was a farmer. Now, grandpa, he loved farming. In fact, when he moved into town, uh, he took his backyard and three of his neighbor's backyards, and they were pretty large backyards, and he converted them all into gardens. He had the biggest in-town garden I have ever seen in my life, and he would work hard. He would go out, and he would till that ground, and he would pull the weeds. He had the seeds planted, and he would go out and check on the corn or check on the green beans or the tomatoes or whatever, and he would get all that prepared, but on the backside of all of that, we as a family, we enjoyed the harvest, but he had to endure patiently. He had to wait patiently for that vegetable, for that green bean, for that, the radishes, for the carrots, whatever it happened to be. He had to wait for them to mature before he pulled them and harvest the vegetables. I would encourage you, even when times are dry, just like the farmer prepare your fields. There are going to be times when it's dry out that, that the weeds begin to rear their ugly heads. It appears that the harvest is never going to mature. But James says, he, he reminds us in verse 7, that if we will just press on, if we will push through, if we will endure with patience, that the rain is coming. And that's exactly what Mr. Bridges was talking about in our clip this morning you can simply pray but the farmer if all he does is pray and then he sits in the house and he says well every day i pray but he never goes out and prepares the soil he never goes out and tills the ground he never goes out and puts down the seed and lays out the fertilizer and pulls out the weeds and waters the seed and makes sure everything is growing properly. If he never does any of that, he will never see a great harvest. So if all we do is, is pray, and now don't misunderstand me, I'm not negating prayer. There's power in prayer. The Bible says that the fervent prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Mighty things happen in prayer. I'm telling you what, I've seen people healed during prayer. I've seen situations resolved because of prayer. But there are times in life that when the rain has not yet come, there are times in life that we must begin to move if we want to see God move. We must learn to follow His lead. We must learn to depend upon Him. But even though rain can be productive for the harvest, there are times when the rain in our lives seems quite overwhelming. A few weeks ago, we were doing our weekly food distribution on a Monday, and I don't know if you remember that particular Monday, but a, a rain cloud came coming in, and we were watching this rain cloud, and the closer that that rain cloud got, 
the, the heavier the wind got and the wind began to blow and we have a truck out here with all sorts of food in it. We have people bringing items from the inside and cars are all lined up and suddenly that wall cloud is right above us and all of heaven broke loose and all this rain came plummeting down upon us and we're trying to write things on papers that are now soaked. We're all drenched. Some of the workers even had rain boots on but the problem was the rain was falling into the rain boots and now they're walking around with sloshy wet socks because the rain was simply overwhelming. So what do we do in those moments? Yes, we wait patiently. But number two, we establish our hearts. You've got to learn to establish your heart. Paul says, I'm sorry, James says, you also be patient, establish your heart. He takes the time once again to reiterate the fact that we must be patient. Why does he say it again? Because sometimes we need to hear it again. Sometimes it didn't quite sink in the first time. But then he goes on to say, establish your hearts. What does that mean? That means we've got to take the time to invest in the situation. We've got to lay the groundwork. We've got to learn to trust in God's timing. The base of our circumstance must be larger than the structure or we'll become overwhelmed and even defeated. We've got to learn to build a foundation of faith, to build upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. Why? Because our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ, His blood and His righteousness. We've got to learn to, to build on a solid foundation, but, but too often when the wind begins to blow, when the rains begin to come out, we haven't built on a solid foundation. We build on a, a sandy or rocky foundation that suddenly begins to crumble underneath us. We, we've got to learn to establish our hearts, lay the groundwork, place our faith in God why? Because he will see you through. Look at James chapter 5, verse 11. What a gift life is to those who stay the course. Now look at that. That's the definition that we talked about a moment ago. If we will just hold on in those times, in those moments when we want to run away, in those moments when we want to give up, in those moments when, when, when we want to throw in the towel, if we'll grab a hold of all the ability within us to establish our whole hearts, to, to stay the course, to hold on. James says, what a gift life is to those who stay the course. You've heard, of course, of Job's staying power. And you know how God brought it all together for him at the end. That's because God cares. You might need to take your Bible this morning and turn to James chapter 5, verse 11. You may need to circle that because maybe you've forgotten this morning that, that God cares. God cares about your situation. He goes on to say he cares right down to the last detail. God is concerned about every detail of your life, the good, the bad, the ugly of your life. He's concerned about it. James is talking about Job here, and he's not talking about a, a passive faith. Well, whatever comes my way. No. He's talking about a faith that endures through the storm. He's talking about patiently enduring no matter how difficult life gets. Now, some of you that are with us today, you understand this story of Job. You've heard it many other times before. Others of you in the room, this is the first time you're hearing the name Job. In fact, you thought the book wasn't Job, you thought it was Job. No, it's Job. His name is Job. His name's not Job. It's spelled the same, but pronounced differently. Now, in Job chapter 1, we read what happened in Job's life. Let me read this to you very quickly. It says, One day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting at the oldest brother's house, a messenger arrived at Job's home with this news. Your oxen were plowing with the donkeys feeding beside them. When the Sabians raided us, 
They stole all your animals and killed all the farmhands, and I am the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was speaking, another messenger arrived with this news. The fire of God has fallen from heaven and burned up your sheep and all your shepherds, and I am the only one that escaped to tell you. While he was speaking, a third messenger arrived with this news. Um, Three bands of Chaldean raiders have stolen your camels and killed your servants. I am the only one that escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, are you catching what's happening here? It's a tumble down the hill effect. One struggle, one problem, one difficulty, one source of bad news after another. And this fourth one comes up and he says, "Um, your sons and daughters were feasting. They were all at your oldest brother's home. Suddenly a powerful, their oldest brother's home. Suddenly a powerful wind swept in from the wilderness and hit the house on all sides. The house collapsed and all the children are dead. And I'm the only one that escaped to tell you. Job stood up, tore his robe in grief. Then he shaved his head, fell to the ground and worshipped. He said, I came naked from my mother's womb and I will be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I have and the Lord will take it away. Praise the name of the Lord. In all of this, now listen carefully, in all of this, Job did not sin by blaming God. Now in chapter 2, we see this go on. The bad news didn't stop there. I mean, all of his livestock are gone, his sheep are gone, his workers are gone, his children are gone, everything is gone. And now in chapter 2, verse 7, it says, So Satan left the Lord's presence, and he struck Job with terrible boils from head to foot. Job scraped his his skin with a piece of broken pottery as he sat among the ashes. His wife said to him, okay, here it is. This is the encouraging news that Job was needing. How many of you know that there are times in life when you need somebody to step in and give you a little bit of encouragement? All of Job's world has come crashing down. He's lost everything, and now there's boils all over his body, and he's scraping them with pottery as he sits around ashes. His wife comes in with this encouraging word. Are you still trying to maintain your integrity? Curse God and die. Well, thank you, wife. Thank you for that encouragement. But here's what I find interesting. Through all of this, I believe that Job had taken the time to establish his heart. He had had built a foundation of trust in God. He relied upon God. He waited patiently for God. And after his wife came with this wonderfully encouraging word, curse God and die, Job looks back at her and he says this, we take the good days from God. Why not also the bad days? We accept wholeheartedly, we open our arms up to the wonderful things that God gives us. But when difficulty comes our way, why do we cast God out? Why not draw closer to Him? You see, in the text today, in the book of Job, After Job says this, for the next 35 chapters, we have a front row seat to watch Job wrestle with this question of pain and suffering. His friends come to him with as much encouragement as his wife did. His friends say, well, Job, the reason why you're having problems is there's sin in your life. It's all your fault, Job. Now, there are times in this book, as we read through Job's situation, that Job goes through depression. There's times when he goes through grieving. There are other times when his faith 
soars and skyrockets. He declares his loyalty to God. There are a couple of times that he demands that God give him an answer. God, why is this happening? God, give me some sort of response. And even there are times that he regrets that he was born. But chapter after chapter goes by. And there's no response from heaven. Job is on this roller coaster of emotion. And all of heaven is silent. And finally, in chapter 38, God breaks this silent moment and begins to speak. What does God say? To Job, Does he say, well, Job, man, I am so, so sorry that you had to go through all of that, but here was the reason for it. And Job, I have my reasons, and I hope you understand what you really passed the test. Man, you did incredible. I'm, I'm so proud of you. Did God give Job a little bit of passion did he to, did he lay out an answer for him uh, maybe a little bit of encouragement which he hadn't gotten from anyone else or maybe just a compliment and add a boy for job no that's not at all what god said in fact god doesn't explain himself at all to job he doesn't give him the grand design of why everything occurred he just reveals himself and doesn't answer any of Job's questions. You see, for four chapters, God talks about his power. He reveals his majesty. He lays out the fact that he's a, a sovereign God, that he has creative ability. And at the end of all of it, Job responds to God with this statement. Well, surely, I spoke of things that I just don't understand i spoke of things that are just way too wonderful for me to comprehend or even know and god responds this time to job by saying this job i am god i want you to know in your situation as you are waiting patiently as you are establishing your heart god is God, always has been, and always will be. God is God. And the Bible says in verse 17 of chapter 42 of Job, then Job died, an old man who lived a long, full life. See, God gave back to Job more at the end than he ever had in the beginning have you allowed god to establish your heart to help you to grow in in your maturity you see through job's trials through the struggles that he faced he grew in maturity how easy it would have been for job to join with his friends or even his wife into a giant gripe session what's the point why don't i just give up why am i maintaining integrity here why don't i just curse god and die that would have been easy for job to do and quite honestly if anybody ever in the bible had a reason to complain man job was right up there amongst the top but job waited patiently job established his faith. He established his heart. And number three, our third step is this, don't gripe and complain. Job realized that that wasn't going to do any good. In fact, in James chapter 5 verse 9, it says this, friends, don't complain about each other. A far greater complaint could be lodged against you. I want you to think about that. How easy it is for us to gripe and complain about people. Well, they were supposed to be here 15 minutes ago and they haven't even left their house yet. Well, all they do is blah, 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 and we laid all these things out there. 
This line has never been longer. That person won't go. The lights turned green three minutes ago. We all, we all have something we can gripe about. We all have something we can complain about. But James says, man, don't do it. Don't gripe, don't moan, don't complain about one another. A far greater complaint could be lodged against you. Job, like I said, could have joined the bandwagon with all of his friends. Let me ask you a question. Are you guilty of griping and complaining far too much? I love what Mark Twain had to say. He says, don't complain and talk about all your problems. 80% of people don't care. The other 20% will think that you deserve them. Let me read that again. Don't complain and talk about all your problems. 80% of people don't care. And the other 20% will think you deserve them. Now, honestly, I don't believe that this statement is 100% accurate. But it gets us thinking. Is there really a a great purpose to complaining? The Bible says it doesn't add a single moment to our lives. Are you gaining anything besides ulcers and stress by complaining and griping and moaning and groaning about every situation and circumstance in life? It's Denzel Washington that once said this. In fact, I think he tweeted this. If you had $86,400 and someone stole $60, would you throw away $86,340 for revenge or move on and live? Each of us have 86,400 seconds every day. Don't let someone's negative 60 seconds ruin the remaining 86,340. I would challenge you today, as you're facing conflict and struggles and difficulty in life, wait patiently. Begin to move, begin to do something, begin to rely upon God, establish your heart. Don't gripe and complain. Why? Well, there's three things that I want you to see regarding griping and complaining. Number one, continuously griping and complaining it shows a lack of faith in god the bible tells us time and time again to trust in god lean upon god rely upon god turn to god run to god avoid the enemy wrap yourself around god all of these ideas of embracing god you see if we simply go around negatively whining griping, moaning, complaining. We are in essence saying, God, I'm not sure that I can trust you. God, I'm just not sure that this time around that you're going to come through. The Bible tells me in the book of Psalm, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my God and my Redeemer. Lord, no matter what I go through in life, Lord, no matter what I experience, Lord, no matter what comes my way, Lord, no matter what I face today or tomorrow or even next week, Lord, let the words of my mouth, Lord, let the meditation deep inside of me, let it be pleasing to you. Why? Because you're my rock. Lord, you're my foundation. Lord, you're what I'm building everything upon. Lord, you're what what I'm establishing my life upon. Lord, you're my redeemer. Lord, you paid the ultimate price for me. Lord, when I was yet a sinner, Lord, while I was still messing up, God, while I was still on the wrong path, God, you gave everything for me. So, Lord, right now, in this moment, God, I'm going to trust you. God, I'm going to rely upon you. You see, griping and complaining, it, it shows a lack of faith in God, but also it shows a lack of love for others. As a Christian, The Bible says that we are to be a representative of God. We've got the greatest news that the world could ever offer. We've got news that's going to last longer than 10, 20, 50, 70, 100 years. We have news that will change a life for all eternity. 
if we're continuously griping and complaining and moaning and groaning, what sort of representative are we being for the kingdom of God? Are we becoming somebody's excuse for not wanting to be a Christian, for not wanting to give their life to Christ? You see, griping and complaining, it, it shows a lack of love for others. And honestly, the third, it shows a lack of concern for yourself. I read the scripture a moment ago, a far greater complaint could be lodged against you. You're setting yourself up for defeat. You're setting yourself up for greater problems and greater struggles. Negativity is contagious. Griping and complaining is contagious. You begin to gripe, you begin to complain. Guess what? Somebody's going to rage something else against you. They're going to raise that up. They're going to rage war against you verbally. And we discovered a couple of weeks ago there's power of life and death in the tongue. Don't rage war with someone else. Don't set yourself up for failure. Our fourth step is this. And Ryland, if you'll come. Keep on praying and praise Him. So what do we have today? Our four steps. Wait patiently. Number two, if you want to move forward with endurance, you've got to establish your heart. Number three, don't gripe, don't complain. And finally, number four, keep on praying and praising. Instead of griping and complaining, instead of lashing out at those around you, James tells us, offer up a prayer offer up a praise because it has a longer lasting impact and effect on our lives and quite honestly on the lives of those around us in verse 13 he says this are any of you suffering hardship ask yourself that question you're suffering hardship maybe you're sick in body maybe you've lost your job maybe you're in quarantine right now maybe you got some relational issues maybe there's some other problems some legal issues in your life you've got all of these things going on you're suffering hardship James says here's what you need to do you should pray pray well pastor I don't know how to pray it's simple you just tell God what's on your heart just lay it out. You're honest with Him. It's just a, a verbal communication, a verbal contact with God. There's not a special set, a lineup of words. You don't have to have big fancy words to talk to God. You don't have to talk in King James lingo. Our Fatherest in heavenest, we hallowed be if your name is, we glorify if you with both all. No, God, I love you. God, I praise you. Lord, right now, what I'm facing in life, it stinks. I don't like it at all, God. So, Lord, I'm going to lay it before you. Whatever is on your heart today, I challenge you, give it to God. And I can't, he goes on to say this, are any of you happy? You should sing praises. And I hope this morning, as we, we were in a time of worship, that you joined together with us in that time of praise. But in looking at prayer and looking at praise, oftentimes I'll go back to two guys. They're found in the book of Acts. Their names are Paul and Silas. Now here's what's happened in Paul and Silas' life. They have just been arrested for casting a demon out of a young lady. They were drugged in among the authorities. A mob rose up against them. They were stripped of their clothes. They were beaten with wooden rods. They were placed in prison, their feet in stocks. Seems like the perfect place to give God praise, right? No. What did they begin to do? Did they begin to moan and groan, God, why is this happening to me? No, Paul and Silas began to praise and pray with purpose. I've made that statement many times over the last several years. And I ask you today, what are you doing 
with purpose? Are you griping and complaining and moaning and groaning? Are you throwing in the towel? Are you running away? Or are you praising and praying with purpose? Many of us, if we were in Paul and Silas's situation, we would have had the greatest pity party of all times. God, why me? God, I did a good thing. I was helping the young lady. Why am I going through this? It's not fair. But these two men, they took the situation off themselves and they began to give God praise. And while they were praying, while they were praising, the Bible says that suddenly the chains of everyone around them came loose. Suddenly the doors swung open. Here's what I've discovered. Prayer and praise have the ability to change the environment in which you live. I said it a moment ago, the fervent prayer of a righteous person. Well, pastor, I'm not righteous. With God, with the price that Jesus paid, Jesus makes you righteous. He brings you into right standing before the Father. It's as the Father is looking at you, He's looking at you through the eyes of the price that Jesus paid. So therefore, the prayers of you, if you've given your life to Jesus, if you've surrendered yourself to Him, your prayer is powerful and effective. The chains of every prisoner fell off. It wasn't the prisoner's prayer. It wasn't the prisoner's praise. But it was the praise and the prayer of two men who weren't afraid to go against all odds. To establish their heart turn the focus upon God to allow their environment to allow the atmosphere around them to be changed I ask you today how are you responding to struggles in life when storms come raging when you're in the dry season when maybe you've spent 37 chapters of absolute silence like Job did. How are you going to respond? I would encourage you today, wait patiently. Establish your heart. Find yourself in the routine of griping and, and complaining and moaning and groaning. But instead, offer up a praise. Begin to worship God even in the midst of the struggle. And watch God take the circumstance around you and turn it around for good. I want to pray with you today. I want to pray that God will lead you in this time. I want to pray that God would help you in your maturity, in your walk with Him. But there's another prayer that I need to pray first. And there are a group of people that are watching right now that if you're honest with yourself, you haven't given your life to Jesus. You haven't accepted Him in. And you realize today that you're lost. Without Jesus. The Bible says the wages of sin, the price that we deserve, what we earn with our sinful lifestyle, doing wrong things, is full separation from God. It's ultimate death. But because of Jesus Christ, the Bible says if we, if we share with Him, if we give to Him, if we confess our sin, He's faithful to forgive us cleanse us of all the wrong we've ever done. So if that's you, if you want to give your life to Jesus, would you pray this prayer with me today? God, I confess I've sinned. Lord, I admit I've made mistakes. 
But Lord, from this day forward, I want to change. I know you love me. I know you paid the ultimate price for me. Would you forgive me? Would you come into my life? Would you change the environments in which I live? I give myself to you. this day forward, I want to follow you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now I want to pray for the rest of you. Maybe you find yourself, you're not very patient, you're not waiting patiently. Maybe you haven't established your heart. Maybe you're griping and moaning and groaning all the time. Maybe you fail to spend time in prayer and even praise to God. I want to pray with you today that God would help you in this process. That God would help you in your maturity with Him. Let me pray with you today. God, I pray for every person that's with us right now in this service. Lord, no matter where they are in this process, no matter which step they're stuck on, Lord, I pray that you will step in. Lord, that you will help them. Lord, that you will prepare them, God. That you will mature them, God. Lord, that you will bring them closer and closer and closer to what you have them to be. We give you our lives. We surrender our hearts. We lay it all before you right now, God. Lord, take us, mold us, shape us, mature us in you. Thank you, God. Thank you for your word. May it always be alive and real in our hearts. Lord, allow it, as your word says, to cut deep down inside it and remove the junk that doesn't need to be there. Surface those items that we need to be there. Lord, take us help us today. We give you praise, glory, and honor. In Jesus' name.